The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. Mr. Maurice Smithers, the first time we spoke, we were living in a different world. We were both yeah, in indeed. studio, not wearing masks. Probably our hands had not been washed, unless you probably went to the loo and you did what all gentlemen do. The next time we spoke, you were somewhere in Ireland. I understand you have just made it back in the country. First things first. Are you well, happy and safe? I am well, happy and safe. Thank you very much. Even though I'm in the, uh, I am in one of these sort of threatened brackets uh, because of my age, but I'm very well, thank you, and very safe. Fantastic. And I would imagine you are too, Mr. Dan Wolf, Director of the Houghton House Recovery Centre and Psychologist, specialising particularly in substance abuse issues. Yes. Yes, I'm safe, healthy, and um, looking forward to things going back to normal at some point soon. Fantastic. Well then, gentlemen, let's have a sober discussion. Today marks <laughs> day three of Level 2 lockdown. Your thoughts so far, Maurice? Well, judging by a video that I uh, that came, I came across today, which I shared with Lisejo, uh, which you might have seen, uh, we are a little bit concerned uh, because the video was of a crowd of definitely more than 50 people um, in a parking lot, uh, most of whom uh, were not wearing masks or if they had masks were under their chins and were definitely not uh, practicing social distancing. So if that is what we are going to experience now that the ban on alcohol has been lifted, then I think we might be in for a problem. I'm asking this question because just a couple of nights ago, we had a conversation with Herman Pretorius of the mm. Institute of Race Relations, and mm. he spoke about the fact that South Africans, generally speaking, people generally speaking at that, should be trusted more. But exactly why you have said what you have said I then proffered a different proposition altogether by saying that at times South Africans have proven not to be trustworthy with even the little things that they should be getting right because there's no reason why they should be getting it wrong. We have time and again proven to ourselves that we cannot be trusted. What do you make then of the arguments that South Africans can or cannot be trusted in relation to, first of all, understanding that one, we are dealing with a pandemic that is as communicable as it is. And the abuse of liquor certainly does not lend itself to us coming on the other side of the pandemic as unscathed as possible. Look, I think that the problem there is, uh, I think the argument is wrong. I think that, uh, and, and I, don't, I can understand why race relations would argue that, because they have a libertarian approach, which basically argues that people as individuals must take responsibility for their own actions. But the reality is, that we as people live in an environment, and that environment to a large extent shapes what we do, how we think, um, how we behave. And the problem that, and, and that's why we uh, con consistently are arguing that the, the liquor industry's approach of talking about uh, drinking responsibly is wrong because what they're doing is they are saying that the issue of problem drinking is a responsible is a problem of the individual and we are saying no it's a societal problem and that the liquor industry itself is part of that problem 
through uh, advertising, uh, through various means through which it engages with society in order to try and sell as many of its products as possible. So I don't think it's, and, and this is not a, and by the way, I also think that it's unfair to talk about South Africans as being trustworthy or untrustworthy in relation to the alcohol issue, because in fact, this is a global problem. In every single society where the global liquor giants, uh, and I'm talking, I'm talking about global liquor giants of which there are about 10, which control the distribution, the production and distribution of liquor across the world, um, they have a very aggressive approach to trying to sell their products. And in every society, these problems exist. So I don't think we should personalize it and make it an issue of the individual. I think we need to look at what, what in our society is actually driving people towards uh, um, using alcohol in a problematic way, including, by the way, our socioeconomic problems and the fact that we have so many people in our country who are unemployed and uh, uh, have no sustainable income. Look, I mean, uh, the I'm cost. Comment on that, from Geza. Sure, Dan. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, you know, I really, uh, um, I think it's interesting that uh, Maurice. Hi, good evening. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear you raising this point because uh, certainly, from our perspective, as uh, a facility that uh, treats uh, alcoholism. Uh, it's glaringly obvious to us that we're living in a, uh, we live in a society, and perhaps I should be saying in a world that normalises yeah. uh, not alcohol use necessarily, but even alcohol abuse. Yeah, and I think absolutely. the frightening reality is that um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, we we've we've been facing a pandemic, but the absolute panic and fear. Uh, that uh, certain people are presented with with uh, the ban on alcohol is just evidence of uh, the relationship that people have with alcohol and um, uh, how the society um, as, as a whole normalizes uh, normalizes its ongoing use. Let's talk about that because I wanted to actually come and ask you, Dan, in relation to alcohol, there's a direct relationship between the increased road accidents and related accidents, be it for cars, mm. motorcycles, pedestrian, domestic abuse. It is clear there's a direct correlation to that. Healthcare utilization, particularly trauma. So when you look at alcohol use, stroke abuse, the total cost it is to this country has been lamented to the extent that the then Minister of Health, Aron Otswaledia, had said, we need to ban alcohol advertising because alcohol in this country is a bad drug. And then he gave us statistics. But essentially, he lamented the fact that South Africans, largely as a society, have got a bad relationship with alcohol. What can your experiences both in the psychological space tell you and the fact that you run a center for essentially persons who are overcoming that or who are being rehabilitated for the purposes of their alcohol abuse? To what extent then would you agree or disagree with the minister's attitude? Dan? Look, um my, my view is quite straightforward, that the people we treat are clearly individuals uh, that uh, are 
suffering with a very clearly diagnosed condition called alcoholism. Now, I think what is quite remarkable uh, is alcoholism is not a clinical concept. The diagnostic manual talks about a substance use disorder. And if one mm-hmm. starts looking at the criteria that the psychiatric society laid down for substance use disorder, it becomes glaringly obvious that this is not an uncommon phenomena. And uh, very often when one assesses someone whose family is in crisis because they've identified that this individual is impacting negatively on the family and clearly has uh, an alcohol use problem, a very common response is, well, if I'm an alcoholic, then all the people I socialize with are also alcoholics. And I think that that's quite a telling uh, statement in terms of how common uh, a, a very negative relationship with alcohol is across all um, spectrums of our society. Let's hold the thought then, gentlemen. Let's take a very short ad break. Mr. Maurice Smithers and Mr. Dan Wolf are my guests this evening. Alcohol, South Africa's relationship with alcohol and the perception or even sentiment strongly at that, that South Africa has an alcohol addiction, stroke abuse problems. Your thoughts on that on the other side of this break. Nothing conventional on The Viewpoint. Call Songhez or now 0891-104-207. I'm going to read you all a poem. Please listen to it and then find your position and give us a thought on 0891-104-207. The label If by Whiskey refers to a 1952 speech by Noah S. Soggy Sweat Jr., a young lawmaker from the U.S. state of Mississippi. I've read this before, Maurice, you might remember. I do so again. My friends, I had not intended to discuss the controversial subject at this particular time. However, I want you to know that I do not shun controversy. On the contrary, I will take a stand on any issue at any time, regardless of how fraught with controversy it might be. You have asked me how I might feel about whiskey. All right, here is how I feel about whiskey. If when you say whiskey, you mean the devil's brew, the poison scourge, the bloody monster, the that defiles innocence, dethrones reason, destroys the home, creates misery and poverty. Yeah, literally takes the bread from the mouths of little children. If you mean the evil drink that topples the Christian man and woman from the pinnacle of righteous, gracious living into the bottomless pit of degradation and despair and shame and helplessness and hopelessness, then certainly I am against it. But if when you say whiskey, you mean the oil of conversation, the philosophic wine, the ale that is consumed when good fellows get together, that puts a song in their hearts and laughter on their lips, and the warm glow of contentment in their eyes. If you mean Christmas cheer, if you mean the stimulating drink that puts the spring in the old gentleman's step on a frosty, crispy morning, if you mean the drink that enables a man to magnify his joy and his happiness, and to forget, if only for a little while, life's great tragedies and heartaches and sorrows. If you mean that drink, the sale of which pours millions into our treasuries, untold millions of dollars, which are used to provide tender care for our little crippled children, our blind, our deaf, our dumb, our pitiful, aged and infirm, 
to build highways and hospitals in schools, then certainly I am for it. This is my stance. I will not retreat from it. I will not compromise. That's taking a stand without taking a stand. That's quite as ambivalent as ambivalent gets. Your thoughts on the disparities of the arguments then, Maurice, of what liquor ultimately in this country stands for. I dare posit and say for the majority, the experience has been, and you alluded to it, the first, the one that essentially defiles innocence and dethrones reason. And the social problems in this country are deep, and we have seen the manifestations thereof. That Mm. together with indifference or inconsistency or total disregard for or with law enforcement. Your thoughts then on that? Look, I think that uh, I think that the, the, the author of that poem is capturing the complexity of the alcohol question. Um, and that's why we don't take a prohibitionist approach. We don't take an approach that says people should not drink at all. Because clearly alcohol for some people does play what seems to be a positive role. I have to say, I'm saying this with caution because there are increasing medical, uh, there's increasing medical evidence that alcohol is, is, you know, causes cancer and causes various other non-communicable diseases. And so therefore, there's an argument that says people shouldn't drink at all. But let's, let's assume that uh, it does have some value. That's why we don't call for a ban, also because bans cause unintended consequences. But it's important also to know that in South Africa, only about 31% of people above the age of 15 actually drink. So your point about the majority of people experiencing alcohol as a problem is actually correct, because 69% of people in the country don't drink, and yet they have to put up with the challenges uh, created by those who do drink in a problematic way. And that's for us is the big issue. How do you prevent that? And, and again, we're not talking about, I mean, I, I would differ slightly with Dan about the issue of alcoholism. And, I, and, I, and I'm saying this with caution because I, he's involved mm. in the treatment area. But alcoholism, as I understand it, is a problem of, of a limited number of people whose choices are that they either must drink or not drink. But there's a lot of people currently in South Africa, about 60% of drinkers, who drink in a problematic way. But many of them can, in fact, in the right climate, be encouraged to drink in a safer way. And Russia is a very good example of how that can happen uh, because a recent study by the World Health Organization has shown that Russia, which has also had a reputation for heavy drinking of vodka, that Russia has actually reduced its alcohol consumption by 43% over the last 20 years. So it is possible to do that in South Africa as well with any number of people, including some of the people that Dan has to treat. Okay, I'm interested in what Russia did to be able to achieve that gross reduction. Dan, I'm sure you are raring to go with your responses. Please hold them. Let's take a couple of calls. We've got first up KGM, somewhere in the Republic. Your time is limited for those who are still thinking of calling. Call anyway, even if you don't have a point. I can guarantee you when you're on air, you will say something. KGM, good evening. Uh, Good evening, Songez. Good evening to your guest and to my fellow listeners. Songez. There are social ills, alcohol being one of them, that are very destructive, and and they affect the majority of of us 
and, and they do so because we allow them to happen. There's a privileged few that we allow to be privileged that bulldozes us, blackmails us, do anything and everything that they want at our expense. Now, lack of leadership will always, always determine the destruction of the society. If it were me, Songhez, you see, COVID-19 has, has proven a lot of things, multifaceted things that we are capable of doing. I mean, for instance, who has ever thought that we could lock a country down and say, um, no, we don't want anybody to come in or out because we want to sort ourselves, we want to protect ourselves as a nation, whether globally or as, as a sovereign country. We, if we were, we were to be serious about ourselves, uh, uh, the interest of our country and our future, such substances, and, and can, can we stop this nonsensical excuse of the economic activities? We, we can do, and we have many other economic activities that we can have. People should stop talking about how alcohol and, and related substances, destructive substances, contribute to the fiscals. We, mm. we have the capability of creating other economies or economic activities that can do the same even better. But as a parting shot, Songhez, why should I, who does not drink, who is 99.9% of the time on the road, suffer the wrath of alcohol and the, its abusers? Who causes accidents, kills people on the road, and, and with me, also actively involved in the economic activities of this country? Be apologetic because some alcohol beneficiary somewhere says so. I refuse and I say alcohol, if it was according to me, should be abolished. Sonia, a so very hard stance there. Michael. Thank you very much indeed, KGM. A hard stance. I'd love your response on that. That's for you, Maurice. Think about that for a second because you are still iffy at this point. I want you to sit on one side or the other of the fence. Sakile in Durban, let's take your thoughts, please, after which we'll have three voice notes. Sakile, good evening. Don't ask me yes, how yes. I am. I am fine. Yes, Amesha. Um, the alcohol business is a very interesting one because in my family, it has been run before. And unlike in, in, in a food retail where you have like a huge pool of people coming in every day to buy, in the alcohol business, you have like the same faces, you know, but the, the friends don't go down. You know, they're always constant around the year and they peak around Easter and around December, but you have like the same faces. So I think the problem when you want to address this thing of alcohol, you must have a specific target of people because it's a certain problem that affects a specific kind, a specific group of people. And the argument of the fiscals that we collect taxes, in fact, there has been uh, some you know, research that says, okay, actually alcohol costs the state more than it, the state gets from it through taxes. So I'm not sure if the guests have actually encountered that argument that other people are bringing on. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sakil. Appreciate your thoughts. Dan, think about that as a response. Final caller this evening, Selo in Mokopane. Final caller, I beg your pardon, for the segment. Selo, good evening. It's been a while. Mm. 
thanks, thanks for taking my call, but I, I, I will disagree with my brother KGM. Uh, <coughs> um, alcohol does not have a problem. Um, the problem is with us people who drink alcohol um, because we abuse alcohol um, and knowing that our behavior and attitude is very lousy. So if we change our attitude towards alcohol, the consumption of it, the better we can be. But abolishing it now, I will disagree with HM with that. Let's, okay, let's sure, we will. Let's, let's sort out our attitude, and then I think we will be better. I agree that because there are some accidents that are um, caused by these reckless drunkards. But let's not abolish it. Let's change our attitude. Thanks, Fantastic. Dan, that's also for you. Thank you so much. Dan, the last two callers are for you. Let's take three voice notes, please. Uh, uh, good evening, Zongeza. Uh, this is Rufus Bishop Makwana from the Bahamazon F. Um, uh, before uh, you could go any further with the topic, can, can I please at least uh, uh, rectify something here? Taverns are open throughout. Uh, only... Uh, liquor outlets where they are uh, bottle stores like they will open monday to thursday 9 to uh, 17 hours but uh, taverns are open throughout even on saturdays we will be drinking if we are drinking i'm not a drunk i'm not a drinking guy but i know that uh, on friday saturday sunday people will be still drinking uh, at the taverns that, that's what mkosana said i stay in the street and one street over for me it's a primary school secondary senior secondary the churches community hall stadium clinic police station but surprisingly in a four kilometer radius from the school and even next door to these uh, facilities there are taverns there's probably no less than 10 taverns in this area, in this township area. And my question is, what's happening with the Eastern Cape Liquor Board that they would license these facilities next to these schools? And these schools were built in 1989. And South Africa has a long, complicated history with alcohol. We probably, we the, there's one town in the Northwest which has the highest level of fetal alcohol syndrome. So what's happening with legislation because Sarafans love their liquor. Nikita from PE. <clears throat> I mean I differ with that minister if he says we must ban alcohol so the, the, the maybe the numbers will reduce and even cigarettes. They, the government stopped the, the advert for cigarettes but people didn't stop smoking. I think it's the attitude that we need to to change as drinkers or smokers or whoever. It's only the attitude that needs to, 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 to change. And the way it's so easy in South Africa to get alcohol, very, very easy. You know, in South Africa, it's very hard to get a library than get getting shipping and bars and tavern and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are some seriously strong words. One from Rustenburg Temba saying, good evening, Songezo. South Africans are reckless, negligent, rough, unreliable untrustworthy and careless and my favorite of the day in china your quote on whiskey tonight takes the cake 
that American author really knew his audience and the contrasts he draws magnificent. Advocate Dumisa Nsebenza, SC. Thank you. Thank you, my Lord. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Let's start with you, Dan. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, very interested in what Maurice was uh, saying, Sengeza, about Russia managing on a societal level to reduce the consumption of alcohol, because that points to some extent and perhaps to the work that Maurice is involved in in terms of putting various external controls in place. And I think that that certainly on a societal level is the, is the way to go. But, uh, but the nature of our work in the context of treatment of people with addictions is to de- be dealing with the individual and uh, the individual has to develop insight into mm. themselves mm. and to uh, perhaps find their resources, their internal resources, that enable them to find a way of being which is fulfilling, which is meaningful, which allows them to get satisfaction out of life that doesn't involve using alcohol. And I think that uh, when an individual is capable of doing that or finds a way of doing that, there's a tremendous freedom in that. Uh, it, it is unfortunate um, that uh, we are living in an environment where uh, the, the inability of so many individuals to achieve a fulfilling way of being um, uh, is evident and therefore they resort to substances which requires very firm policies uh, to be put in place and external controls. And I think that, uh, again, obviously uh, a society would benefit from controls that uh, curb the, uh, the use of alcohol, drinking and driving, the ongoing chaos in terms of domestic violence uh, that, uh, that is bred through the ongoing abuse and uh, dependence on on a broad spectrum of substances, of which alcohol is probably the most common. Sure. Let's give you an opportunity to respond to some of the thoughts that you might feel pretty strongly about, Maurice. Yeah, thank you. Look, I completely completely understand what Dan is saying, and I I support what he's saying completely, too. I mean, I think that... um, the, the the complications around alcohol and other drugs, in fact, in our country, are are, are very they're very complex and they to do with a whole lot of uh, societal realities, um, including inequality and poverty and unemployment and so on, which which all contribute towards breaking down people's uh, self-esteem and do assist them to then turn to substances as a way of kind of dealing with their reality. But you know, there's, I came across a phrase recently uh, about, um, uh, which talks about uh, stopping the leak uh, instead of mopping up the floor. And in many ways, Dan and other people who work in his sector are having to deal with the consequences of the fact that we don't have proper laws in place. Because what they're doing is, uh, instead of society stopping or ordering, uh, uh, the, 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 the numbers of people that become addicted to substances, 
Um, we, we, we don't have proper controls in place. And so organizations like BANS have to then pick up the pieces. Um, in response to some of your speakers, I mean, I think you've got an incredibly intelligent uh, uh, listenership, by the way, because all of the inputs from your, 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 your um, respondents were really interesting. Um, and I think that they point to the fact that uh, this issue is very complex, but that at the end of the day, the problem is one that can only be solved by government supported by communities. I mean, one of your speakers talked about the fact that um, that we as people allow alcohol abuse to happen. We allow uh, 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 people who, who, who use alcohol in a harmful way to hold us hostage. And that's absolutely true. So government has a role to play in terms of creating the legislative environment that uh, limits the amount of abuse and, and, and misuse that can happen. But we as communities also have to speak out. I mean, one of the important numbers that I, I might have mentioned before is that only 31% of people drink. That, and that's of people age 15 and above. That doesn't even take into account the children below the age of 15, which would mean that the number of people mm. that actually well, drink of the entire population is about 22%. So that means that the rest of the population you have to suffer the challenges associated with alcohol harm, which includes, uh, as, as, your, as KG said, I think it was, uh, uh, you know, becoming at risk from drunken drivers um, and, and the violence that we experience and so on. The 22%, and, and even of the 22% who drink, it's only a percentage, about 60%, who actually drink in a harmful way. So we've got to find a way as government and as society as a whole to say this is not good enough. We have to find a way to and, – and, and our argument, by the way, uh, I mean, I know somebody – one of the people talked for uh, – called for a ban on alcohol. We don't think a ban will work. Ban, bans create other problems. But we think we have to have a society which is what you can call an alcohol-safe society. We're drinking – is safe for the person who drinks and it's safe for the person who doesn't drink uh, or the people around the person who does drink. And I want to give you one little example which also covers Finally, the, of the cost of the cost to the country. Just the other day I read an article about a guy who was stabbed under the arm in a drunken fight. Now why should that guy who's going out drinking have to end up getting stabbed? Anyway, he goes to hospital they spend four hours in a public hospital trying to save his life and his arm. Mm. Uh, who pays the cost of that? The taxpayer does. So, so we have to understand that these, these issues are all interlinked, they're all interconnected, and that it's critically important that we have a policy regime in place that limits the harmful use of alcohol, which, by the way, if we had had in place before COVID, may have meant there was no need to impose a ban. Because remember, South Africa was only one of about 10 countries in the world that imposed a complete ban on the sale of alcohol. Many other countries uh, banned on-consumption alcohol, but allowed off-consumption. That's where we need to get to, where we have a society Maurice. where drinking of alcohol is a safe practice. 
Fantastic. Maurice, I'm going to let you go now. And I obviously have to just give one final comment to my other guest, Dan Wolf. Dan, in the comments that came through, there was a lot of reference to taverns, and I don't take away any of those references. But I think we also need to have a balanced perspective in terms of how the liquor sales consumption and the behaviors that stem from the consumption of liquor in reality are in South Africa. And it is my view, and I put it to you, that there's a gross misrepresentation or underreporting of the entire spectrum of the South African liquor consuming community. And at times, it is the affluent areas, and you can even, if you want to go to the race question, the white aspects attached to liquor liquor related abuse and the domestic issues that flow from that that in south africa we don't quite have a broad understanding on because it is not as broadly reported and perhaps i put it to you that is part of the problem well uh, i'm not understanding the question Sungeza. The question is, because the word tavern came up quite prominently, and I don't take issue with that, and the problems associated, if you like, with a particular community of South Africa, I am saying your affluent areas where there's a high consumption of liquor, the spaces that enjoy a prominence in the media or in the spaces that report, don't often take South Africa into their confidence in relation to some of these problems we are dealing with are not issues of the poor issue of the African mm. communities or the poorer well, communities, I, I think, but this uh, is I'm as much an issue of the affluent people, the white people. Yeah, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, and certainly if one were to take a walk through Houghton House, it would become uh, absolutely evident that that alcohol, uh, that alcohol has no bias. And uh, in reality, this is a condition uh, and when I talk about a condition, when I'm speaking about alcoholism, it covers the broad spectrum of society. And uh, certainly that is well represented um, in the context of people who are receiving treatment. What's interesting in terms of the, the, our environment is mm. uh, with working with medical aids, uh, you... You see, you know, it's it's very common. It's, one doesn't have to be affluent to be on a medical aid. Their their mother could be uh, a teacher at a government school. They're on a on a government medical aid, uh, and they could be in treatment. You know, a a young uh, a chap from quite an underprivileged environment could certainly find himself in treatment and even sharing a room with an older gentleman who has been uh, admitted uh, uh, on account of an overconsumption of what you referred to at the start of this program, red, red wine. So, you know, I I think it's quite interesting that um, when one's dealing with people, we're dealing with individuals that uh, have, have very deep, struggles and uh, are very often uh, trying to contain a high level of underlying emotional turmoil, which uh, doesn't necessarily um, distinguish between, uh, you know, that, 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 that spans the full spectrum of society. And so in reality, uh, human psychology is, is such that uh, when you've got a substance, that offers a tranquilizing effect. Um, sure, sure. Uh, it, it can be utilized by yes. uh, anyone who, at the end of the day, 
is finding great difficulty in getting the support they need and asking for the support they need in a direct and respectful way. Uh, The substance is uh, very often used as a form of self-medication. And I guess whether it's been used in a cabin or it's been used in the context of higher society, um, uh, yeah, the, the fundamentals are very much the same. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much, Mr. Dan Wolf, who is a psychologist and the director of the Houghton House Recovery Centre. Well, we know so much more about the intricacies of this particular matter. I'm not necessarily sure we are any closer to finding consensus, given the many disparate views, as we have heard tonight, on liquor, its use and its troubles. Let's take a short break. Then we talk to Ms. Anlipa Seidenhout, senior associate, I beg your pardon, at Cliff Decker, Hofmeyer, in the Employment Law Division.